Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you uh, this morning. We're starting our new sermon series titled The Church Next Door, where we're taking a behind the scenes look at someone else's problems and the things they're dealing with as a church. Because if you didn't know, maybe it's your first time in church ever, maybe you haven't been at church in a while, you have to know that churches deal with all sorts of messed up stuff. You know why? So we're messed up people, right? Even if you've only been at this church, you've never attended another one, you've dealt with some pretty hard and difficult things in the past because the truth is there's no such thing as a perfect church because they're made up of imperfect people. And problems are gonna happen in churches. However, what I hope we see from the study of this uh, series is while problems happen and difficult things happen, what I think is even more important to probably understand is that we gotta deal with those things as a church. Issues have to be addressed because the church is unlike any organization out there in the world. And while you may have all sorts of experience from your background and your education, the church is very, very different. It should act and function and behave differently than any organization in the world. I'll show you why this morning. But for the next however long it takes, I have no idea. We're going to be in here for a while, just to let you know. But for however long it takes, we're going to work our way through an explosive, provocative book in the Bible. We're going to see how messed up churches can be, how messed up people can be. And we're going to deal with all sorts of unfun subjects. Those are the weeks Alan will be preaching. I'm going to tap him on the shoulder for those ones. But you see, earlier this year, we went through Philippians and we saw a church that had a lot of it together. This is like the exact opposite, a church that doesn't have it all together. We're gonna to be journeying through 1 Corinthians and looking at all the different stuff going on from there. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up. We're gonna start in chapter one, verse one this morning. Just to give you a background about Corinth and the time period that we're looking in, they say that Corinth, scholars suggest that Corinth was the New York, LA, and Las Vegas of their time like all mixed into one, right? The city was a flourishing in the Greek world, but then Rome came in and squashed it. It lay destroyed about a 146 BC, Rome demolished it, and it laid in ruins for a hundred years before Julius Caesar came and rebuilt it as a Roman colony. They chose to rebuild it because it's a strategic location for commerce, it's natural defenses, abundant water supplies. It had two harbors for trade. And the point we're diving in in the history where Paul's writing to this church, this was a newly founded city and there was like a gold rush happening here, right? People could go and make something of themselves in Corinth. 
very similar to the American dream. It wasn't already controlled by the wealthy. You could go and make a name for yourself. And so it was a cultural melting pot of different people, different religions, and all sorts of different practices. In other words, this is the closest thing we're gonna find to our American culture 2,000 years ago. And what we find is the same problems they deal with is the same problems we deal with in our society and in fact, in our churches. Well, maybe not this church, right? How about that church down the road deals with it, right? Is that easier? Them down there deal with it. We got it all together here, right? No, but all of us, right? This is a behind the scenes look at what churches go through. And you have to know up front that Paul is very combative in this letter. He isn't pulling any punches. They're dealing with some tough stuff, some hot topic issues, and we're gonna work our way through them. But here's kind of a big overview of the things Paul's tackling, and we're gonna tackle over the next however long. They have authority issues. They challenge the authority of the apostle Paul and churches ignoring uh, the leader that God sends isn't a new thing. It's been happening for a long time. They're divided over their leaders. They're separating into factions. They're divided over spiritual gifts and whose gift is more important. They aren't dealing with blatant sin and sexual morality. In fact, some just think sexual morality isn't a real thing and they can just do whatever they want. They have marriage issues, idolatry issues, order of worship issues, even theological issues concerning the resurrection, which we'll dive in towards the end. But this letter is so explosive and it's so dynamic. And if us as God's people, if we were to grab hold of these things that Paul talks about, if we would dive in and listen to what Paul says about them, well, it could change the dynamic of every local church. That's why, in fact, it's found in God's word, because we believe it's to all people, all of his people. And so we're going to dive in this morning. We're not going to get very far. We're going to go over the introduction because in this introduction, Paul lays the groundwork for the rest of the letter. And it's very different from his other introductions. The reason we know that is because we got a whole bunch of his letters and we can see how he writes and how he changes and, and what he's working through to set the tone for the rest of the book. If you have your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. If not, it'll be back here for you to read. It says, this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our, our brother, Sosthenes. I think that's how you pronounce it, Sosthenes. So this starts off with just a basic introduction, right? This is from Paul. He's gonna explain who he is, but also who they are in the next verse. And remember, this is the apostle Paul, or Saul. Remember, he wasn't a Jesus follower during the life of Jesus. He actually was throwing people into jail. If you didn't like Christians, you would like Paul, right? Paul didn't like them, he would throw them in jail. He gave his whole life dedicated to getting rid of Christianity. That is until he met Jesus. You can read all about that in Acts chapter nine. But Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey. And it's thought that he wrote this letter on his third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus. They don't know for sure, but that's what they think when they redo his life. And right off the bat, he reminds them who he is. Who's writing this letter? First, he's Paul, of course, but he was chosen 
chosen that is called by God for this task. He's reminding them, he's letting them know that, look, this whole idea wasn't his. That God had called him into this leadership position. He was just fine throwing people into jail, not being a Jesus follower. But God spoke to him, God called him, and he brought him into this position. And he emphasized the divine origin by not just saying he was chosen or called, by saying he's chosen by the will of God. They're like, God had his hand in this, that God has set the authority on him. In other words, what he's telling them, and you'll see throughout the letter, that he answers to God, not to them. And he works through all this. He's cutting through the political posturing that people do when you're in leadership. And he's just saying, listen, I'm the apostle. God has sent me. That's what I'm here to do. I started this church. I'm the leader of this thing. And he's pointing to them and saying, by the way, this wasn't my idea. This was God's doing. Like he called me, he asked me, he sent me to do this job. You see his vocation as an apostle, that means to be sent out. So he's a sent out. He was sent out to plant churches, to start them and to lead this gospel movement. And what's amazing about Paul is you'll see throughout the letter and perhaps you've read it or you've read some of his other stuff is Paul is very humble, but he's also very confident And when you put those things together, it can really throw you off if you don't understand what's happening. He's humble because he knows he didn't do this thing, that this was God's idea. But he's also confident in what he does. Why? Because this was God's idea. So he's not being arrogant. He's not being rude. He's just saying, hey, this is what God's asked me to do. I'm chosen by the will of God to be an apostle, so I'm going to do this. But yet he's humble, but confidence, this weird mixture. One scholar says he felt both a privilege and an obligation to his vocation. And we see that this other guy's with him. We don't know who it is. We see this name in the book of Acts. It may be that guy. They don't know. But Paul had it a companion. Evidently, they knew who this guy was, starting in verse 2. First, he, remember verse 1, he lets them know who he is. Now he's going to remind them of who they are. He says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people, he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This statement is just so packed with stuff to think about. First, he tells them he's writing to whose church? Yeah, Paul doesn't usually say that. He usually writes to the church in a location. But here he's setting the tone saying, folks, this thing is God's church. You see, the word here is ecclesia, and it literally means assembly or gathering, right? You've seen the word before, but it's just a general term back then that meant any assembly, any gathering. It could be social and it could be political, but generally these type of gatherings were for the wealthy. They were for the elite. They were the networking. They were the time where you got together with your friends and just whatever those extracurricular activities or extracurricular uh, groups that you hang out with, that you network out, you know, those kind of things. That's what that word was used for. But it was generally just for the rich. Why? Because poor people were working, right? You don't got a lot of time to go hang out if you're 
hungry, do you? Right? So that's what these kind of gatherings were for networking, prominence, influence, all of that that comes with those extra type of groups. But he addresses them very different. He says, yeah, you're the ecclesia, you're this gathering, but by the way, this is God's gathering. This is God's church. It doesn't belong to the wealthy. It doesn't belong to a specific leader or the people. It's unlike anything the world has ever seen. This is God's assembly under the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something very important to understand, church. I'm sure we all get this, that this whole thing, this whole idea of being a church was God's idea, which means he sets the agenda. He sets the tone. We aren't here for our purposes, but we are here for his purposes. And while he says, I have this special calling as an apostle, this is what God chose me to do. He reminds them that while he has a specific leadership aspect, he says, but guys, you've been called to do some other things. He says, you've been called to be his holy people. It's not just that he's called, they are called too, but they're called to this, this holiness. Not everyone's called to an office of an apostle or, or a pastor or something like that, but all Christians everywhere are called to be these set apart people, ones designed for God's special work. It's kind of just like at a dinner party when you go to sit down and you have five different forks and spoons or knives, wherever they're functioned. I don't know what any of them do. I'm just letting you know. Do y'all know what the forks and spoons do with those things? Okay, I don't. But evidently, all of them have their own special purpose, their own special function. They all play a unique role in that dinner. In the same way, the same type of thing, we all have been set apart as like God's special utensils to be used for his purposes and his work. That's what this set apart thing means. But why were we set apart? Because we were awesome? No, that's what holy means, set apart, right? No, no, no because of what Jesus has done. It's like we were made holy, we are called to be set apart, to be used by God, not because of anything we've done, but only because of what he has done. It all starts and ends with Jesus. And he says, and by the way, because this church was ego-driven, we'll get to that here in a little bit, but he says, just as he did for all people everywhere, He's saying, folks, you're not special. Like this is a movement of God. This is a thing that Jesus is doing. Like he's done this before and he's continuing to do this. But first this has to remind us that we are part of a larger kingdom movement, aren't we? The church isn't just here. The church is a global thing all over the world. But then second, may we never forget the urgency of sharing the gospel that whoever calls upon Jesus Christ can be saved and be a part of what he's doing in this world. Going to verse three, here's who I am. Here's who you are. And now he says, may the God of our father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. As with all his letters, remember grace is the foundation for everything we do. We are indebted to Jesus Christ because of his works on the cross. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one who sets us apart for our mission in the world. We serve a generous God who freely gives grace and peace. And now Paul's gonna continue his normal pattern of his letter, okay? He does the here's I am, here's you are, and now all of a sudden he's gonna thank them. And what we know is 
for sure. This is completely different than what he does in his other letters because he has absolutely nothing to thank them for. So who does he thank? He thanks God for what he's done, but he doesn't thank them for anything they've done. It's very different, but it's, it sets the tone for the letter. Verse four, he says, I always thank my God for you and the gracious gift he has given you. Now that you belong, right, who's the owner? Christ, all right, to Christ Jesus. Through him, not through you, but through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told, about you, told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Christ Jesus. You see, this church, we'll see later, is a powerhouse of spiritual gifts. And what do people do who's really gifted? They fight. Like that's what's going on. They're fighting about their spiritual gifts. They're fighting about whose is better, whose is more important. They're fighting, and he's setting the tone. He's saying, listen, guys, you have been blessed. God has given you all amazing giftings. Like, you guys have the potential to do some amazing things, but your inflated ego is causing you to fight, to not get along. And he reminds them, hey, these gifts weren't something that you've done. It's what Christ has done. It's what he has done in your life. And so what he's doing off the bat, he's putting their ego in check. He's saying no matter how smart you may be, no matter what gifts you have, no you know, matter what kind of outflow or overflow that God has done in your life, it is a God thing. Because you belong to Christ. And that's that thing in Christ. When we studied Ephesians, we saw Paul Paul keep talking about it, which means what's true of Christ is now true of us. We are in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's talking about, this dynamic relationship. And he says, here's what he's gonna do, verse eight. He says, and he will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Christ Jesus returns. And here's what's so amazing about this, folks. This church is pretty messed up. But Paul says, you're still God's people. Like God's strength is going to see you through. Like because of Jesus Christ, not because of you, God is still, because of Jesus Christ, going to declare you not guilty when you stand before him. And folks, that has to comfort us. That even messed up people are gonna get in. Even messed up people are gonna be declared not guilty, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And he points them to and say, hey, God's gonna keep you. God's gonna keep this salvation. God's gonna keep working in your life. It's not dependent upon you, but it's about what Jesus is going to do through you. And he points them to their true source of faith, their, excuse me, their true source of strength. And then he says in verse nine, He says, and God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, God is faithful. 
You can rest assured in his works on the cross. You can rest assured in your salvation. It's not about what we have done. Remember, this is what grace is, that he gives us what we don't deserve. And it's amazing and awesome and causes us to live like out of, a, out of, out of gratitude for Christ. So, I mean, I can't earn it. I can't do it. It's all because of him. That's the motivation in our life. And he says that he has invited us, check this out, into partnership with his son. Do you know that you and I, we, the church, has been invited? It's like Jesus is saying, come on. The God of the universe, come on. I wanna use you. I want you to get a part of what we're doing. Like, man, I got this grand plan. Some awesome things are happening and come on with it. You see, this word uh, originally is the word we translate into fellowship. But the word gets misused all the time. It, it means in uh, the 21st century, usually fellowship translates to potluck, right? Yeah? We should use that pot. Yeah. It actually means partnership. Like there's this business thing going on that we are joining in what Christ is doing in the world. And so we can fellowship, we can hang out together, but it's not about like, we can't go to potlucks with Christ, right? Like that, that doesn't work. But what we can do is partner with him. Join in with him. And that's what we do as a church. We're joining together. We're joining together with God together to carry out what Christ wants to do in the world. The church must be Jesus-centered and gospel-driven. And it's amazing. In nine verses, right, these verses we put in, it wasn't there. So it's just this little paragraph of introduction. Paul mentions mentions the name of Jesus eight times. He's like, just in case you didn't know what we're talking about, just in case you don't remember what we're doing, this is a Jesus thing. Eight times in one little paragraph, you think he was making a point? Oh yeah, he's coming at him hard. This isn't about you, this is about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Like that's what he is beating into them right off the bat, that we are to partner and participate in what Jesus is doing. What he's doing, folks, he's coming, he's rescuing the world. And there are two things, two things that he stresses right off the bat that then makes what he transitioned to make sense. First, he's letting them know that he's the leader. He's been chosen. He's the apostle. And we know there were other leaders. We know there's division. But Paul points to like, hey, guys, I started this thing. Like, like I came in here and I started this thing. They're arguing with him. They're not too sure if he's really, really apostle. Like we'll deal with all that stuff, but their egos are getting inflated and Paul's laying down a theology of leadership saying, no, no, no. Guys, God, God's done this thing. This is who I am. And then second, they are God's church. They have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even though they're messed up and this has to give us comfort. I don't know about you, it gives me comfort is even though we're messed up, even though we may not have it all together, even as a church, sometimes we don't have it all together. It's like, that's okay. Like God can still work in that and God can still rescue us and we're still his people and we're still gonna be declared innocent because of what he has done. But as Jesus followers, as a gathering, we are here to discover what he is doing in the world and and get on board. We're partnering with him. So in light of those two truths, he now calls for unity. I thought what, what Pastor Scott talked about was just amazing with what we're talking about today. Go to verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's invoking that, that authority of Jesus and what Jesus has sent him to do. He says, here's what he asks, to live in harmony with each other. 
Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be one mind united in thought and purpose. Folks, they weren't getting along. And now does being united or um, no division, does that mean we're not gonna disagree? Of course we're gonna disagree. That's okay, that's not that big of a deal. But hopefully we're in an environment where we encourage people who disagree to come together to figure out the best course of action. But he tells this, us, them, a secret. Like rather than being divisive, he says be united around thought and purpose. Be united with our minds, with what we're doing as a community of God's people. One scholar says this. He says to be perfectly united. Next slide. He says to be perfectly united does, that mean, does not mean Paul required everyone to be exactly the same. Instead, he wanted them to set aside their arguments and focus on what truly mattered. Jesus Christ as Lord and their mission to take the light of the gospel into a dark world. The internal divisions would only cause strife and hinder the gospel as well as make the church look ridiculous to those outside. And so he tells the church, you must be united around Jesus Christ who he is and what he's doing in the world. In other words, as a church, we have to be united around our purpose. He goes on to explain, they're divided over leaders. He brings it back up. We'll talk about that later. But what's clear, what's clear that Paul is stressing the urgency for them and perhaps us here today is we have to, as a church, as people, realign our priorities around God and what he is doing in the world. It's easy to forget what a church is supposed to be about. I mean, they did. And Paul's reminding them about it. It's easy to get focused on things that don't really matter. But Paul's saying, guys, remember why we're here. Remember what you're doing. He says, this is God's church. It's his The whole thing was his idea. He sets the priority. He sets the additions. Um, This is what it means. He says to set aside the traditions, to set aside the preferences, to set aside egos, to set aside whatever else you need to set aside to be the people that God has called you to be. And over the years, we've been working through this as a church, haven't we? I've been here, if you didn't know, at the end of this month will be four years Time has flown, hasn't it? Four years. And we've worked through so many things as a church. What we've worked through is normal. Churches all over the world are working through it and we're continuing to do it, but I am so proud of what our church has worked through. Our church decided they didn't wanna be an irrelevant social club, that we wanted to be a gospel-centered, Bible-based church reaching people for Christ. Like that's the things we talked about. And it's exciting and amazing to see how our church has evolved. I'm proud of how we united we've become. I mean, just think about it. We have united around music. It wasn't that long ago. We had two separate services, didn't we? Two separate music. Y'all went here. We went here. But now we're united around music. One service. We're united around the fact that we don't care what you wear to church anymore. You should have chuckled a little bit. You should take that so serious. But I haven't heard about clothing in forever. Do you know what I think helped? You want to know the truth? Y'all sitting in your pajamas watching it during COVID. 
Y'all were like, you know what? Maybe it's not that big of a deal anymore. I don't know. I kind of like this comfiness. Like I kind of get it now. But we don't fuss about things like that. We just ask that you wear clothes. That's all we ask. (laughs) We are united around reaching people and reaching the next generation. The elementary age used to sit in service with us. And I was like, look, my wife's not gonna come to church if we do that kind of stuff, folks. We gotta get them out of here, right? So what the church decided to do is some of the best environments, we have a youth house now in this entire section upstairs, the best environments of the church all got turned over to the next generation. And that's an amazing thing to see. We're united around our mission that we're here to make immature followers of Jesus. And we've seen you guys go through the growth track classes to really get a grip on what the church is supposed to be doing. So many of you have went through the intentional discipleship programs and have a grip on your faith and realize like, man, Jesus was pretty clear about what we're supposed to be doing. It's like, yeah, I'm just excited to see so many of you talk to me about how God is growing your faith in this season. And more recently, through a lot of hard work, the deacons and the staff, we've come together and we're now united. It's taken us a couple of years to work through this, but we're united around the strategy as a church. In other words, if we are here, our mission is to make and mature disciples, then we got to be honest about, well, what does that mean we do? How do we actually accomplish those things? And at our last deacons meeting, the staff has been working, the deacons met, and we unanimously agreed that we have our strategy statement. And you're like, Brian, this this is horrible and boring. No, no, this is important because this is going to direct everything else we do. It's going to be that filter that says, hey, are we doing these things in our ministries? And here's what we agreed upon. It says we exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what we're going to do. We accomplish this by bringing people to Jesus and membership into his family, develop them into Christ-like maturity, equip them for their ministry in the church and their mission in the world in order to glorify God's name. Like that's what we want to do. And by the way, we completely borrowed this from another church or stole it. However you want to look at that, I look at it, borrow it. We did not come up with this, but we said, you know what? This fits who we are as a church perfectly. This explains what we went through our strategic planning, the things we want to accomplish, because we believe this is God's church. And so what we want to do is basically, if you just want to come and sit down, this isn't the church for you. We want you to get involved. We want you to be used by God in an amazing way. We want you to experience the life, uh, life transforming power of Jesus Christ. We want you to help other people experience that too. Like we actually believe in what we're doing. But here's what this tells us is we want to bring people to Jesus. In other words, we want to make sure we have environments where people want to invite their friends and family to church. We want people to feel comfortable and welcomed when we walk in the door. And I think, I think we got some great greeters who do that, some great people. But we want to make sure that we're not just thinking about is the insider comfortable, But we want to make sure that we're thinking about the guests who may show up. How are they feeling? What are they seeing? What are they smelling? What what does it look like to them? In other words, we want to make sure that when you bring your friends and family, you're not apologizing all the way to lunch. You ever done that before? When I was younger, every time I brought a friend, he preached on tithing. It was like almost every time I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this is about. Every time a friend comes, they want to talk about tithing. But we want to bring people in Make people feel comfortable, but we also want them to join our church. We want them to join in the family of believers and use their spiritual gifts. 
And what we wanna do as a staff, we're gonna focus on developing people, developing them for Christ-like maturity, and we wanna equip them for their ministry in the church and their mission in the world. In other words, we wanna be pouring our lives into you, helping you discover what God's called you to do, helping you live that out in your sphere of influence. And when you leave the church, and you go to work or you hang out with your grandkids or whatever else you got going on, you were sharing and showing Jesus Christ. Like we are actually giving you practical, applicable things to deal with everyday life, to be a Jesus follower, all for whose glory? Yeah, all for God's glory. That's what we're saying we think it looks like. And we're pretty excited about this. This is where we're headed. In other words, all the things we've worked towards have led us up to this, and we're not done yet. We still believe there are people in Conway who need to hear about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? There's still people who need to grow in their faith. Do you believe that? Yet there's still people here who need to get more plugged in, who need to step up, who need to find out what their spiritual gifts are, who need to get involved in a Sunday school class, who need to find community, and we want to help you do that because we believe it'll change your life. And we want you to experience that, that transformative power of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we're going to rally around this. We're going to play in this. Our deacons are going to be hard at work at planning and thinking of ministries. And here in a few months, we're going to be doing rally cries, asking you to get involved. And I know that when I ask you all to get involved, you guys step up like crazy. One time I asked everybody to step up for children's church and, and preschool church. And we had like 40 people sign up. It's amazing how this church responds. Just get ready for it. It's coming, but this is where, this is where we're going. These are the things we want to do. And I ask you to join us. So at the end of your life, when you stand before Christ, my life goal, and I hope it's yours too, is I simply want to stand before him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to have this letter from Paul writing to, to this church who had a lot of problems. They were dealing with some really tough things. We're so thankful how your word still speaks to us all these years later. We thank you so much for our salvation found in Christ. And though at times we can be messed up and not have it all together, but we know that you're going to keep us until the end. Father, we lift up our church and we ask you to lead God and direct all that we do. Father, help us stay on mission. Help us reach the last, the least, and lost with the gospel message. And Father, we ask that you use us corporately and individually in a mighty way for your glory. Father, we're listening. We want to be used by you and we want to help other people know you. Father, not by our power, but by the power of your spirit. So we ask you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.